Section 29 of Pamela or Virtue Rewarded. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pamela or Virtue Rewarded by Samuel Richardson. Section 29 said my master to me, with great sweetness, My dear, now I'm up, I'll feel for you. I must serve both sisters alike. She looked at the servant as if he were a little check upon her, and said to my master, How now, sir, not that you know of. He whispered her, Don't show any contempt before my servants to one I have so deservedly made their mistress. Consider, tis done. I, said she, that's the thing that kills me. He gave me a glass, my good lady's health, sir, said I. That won't do, said she, leaning towards me, softly, and was going to say wench or creature, or some such word. And my master, seeing Abraham, looked towards her, her eyes being red and swelled, said, Indeed, sister, I would not vex myself about it, if I was you. About what? said she. Why, replied he, about your lord's not coming down, as he had promised. He sat down, and she tapped him on the shoulder. Ah, wicked one, said she, nor will that do neither. Why, to be sure, added he, it would vex a lady of your sense and merit to be slighted, if it was so. But I am sure my lord loves you, as well as you love him, and you know not what may have happened. She shook her head and said, That's like your art. This makes one amazed you should be so caught. Who, my lord caught, said he. No, no, he'll have more wit than so. But I never heard you were jealous before. Nor, said he, have you any reason to think so now? Honest friend, you need not wait, said she. My woman will help us to what we want. Yes, let him, replied he. Abraham, fill me a glass. Come, said my master, Lord Dabbers to you, madam. I hope you'll take care he is not found out. You're very provoking, brother, said she. I wish you were as good as Lord Dabbers, but don't carry your jest too far. Well, said he, tis a tender point I own. I've done. By these kind managements the dinner passed over better than I expected, and when the servants were withdrawn, my master said, still keeping his place between us, I have a question to ask you, Lady Davers, and that is, if you'll bear me company to Bedfordshire. I was intending to set out thither to-morrow, but I'll tarry your pleasure if you'll go with me. Is thy wife, as thou callest her, to go along with thee, friend? said she. Yes, to be sure, answered he, my dear Quaker sister, and took her hand and smiled. And wouldn't have me parade it with her on the road? Hey? And make one to grace her retinue? Hey? 
Tell me how thou'st chalk it out, if I would do as thou wouldst have me, honest friend. He clasped his arms about her and kissed her. You are a dear saucy sister, said he, but I must love you. Why, I'll tell you how I'd have it. Here shall you, and my Pamela, leave out my I desire you, if you have me sit patiently. No, replied he, I can't do that. Here shall you and my Pamela go together in your chariot, if you please, and she will then appear as one of your retinue, and your nephew and I will sometimes ride, and sometimes go into my chariot to your woman. Shouldn't thou like this, creature, said she to me, if your ladyship think it not too great an honour for me, madam, said I. Yes, replied she, but my ladyship does think it would be too great an honour. Now I think of it, said he, this must not be neither, for without you'd give her the hand in your own chariot, my wife would be thought your woman, and that must not be. Why, that would, may be, said she, be the only inducement for me to bear her near me, in my chariot. But how then, why then, when we came home, we'd get Lord Davers to come to us, and stay a month or two. And what if he was to come? Why would I have you? As I know you have a good fancy, give Pamela your judgment on some patterns I expect from London, for clothes. Provoking wretch, said she, now I wish I may keep my hands to myself. I don't say it to provoke you, said he, nor ought it to do so. But when I tell you I am married, is it not a consequence that we must have new clothes? Hast thou any more of those obliging things to say to me, friend? said she. I will make you a present, returned he, worth your acceptance, if you will grace us with your company at church, when we make our appearance. Take that, said she, if I die for it, wretch that thou art, and was going to hit him a great slap, but he held her hand. Her kinsman said, Dear aunt, I wonder at you. Why, all these are things of course. I beg leave to withdraw, and as I went out, my good master said, There's a person, there's a shape, there's a sweetness. Oh, Lady Davis, were you a man, you would dote on her as I do. Yes, said the naughty lady, so I should, for my harlot, but not for my wife. I turned on this and said, Indeed your ladyship is cruel, and well may gentlemen take liberties, when ladies of honour say such things. And I wept and added, Your ladyship's inference, if your good brother was not the most generous of men, would make me very unhappy. No fear, wench, no fear, said she. They'll hold me as long as anybody can. I see that. Poor Sally Godfrey never had half the interest in him, I'll assure you. Stay, my Pamela, said he, in a passion, stay, when I bid you. You have now heard two vile charges upon me. I love you with such a true affection, 
that I ought to say something before this malicious accuser, that you may not think your consummate virtue linked to so black a villain. Her nephew seemed uneasy, and blamed her much, and I came back, but trembled as I stood, and he set me down, and said, taking my hand, I have been accused, my dear, as a jeweller, and now as a profligate, in another sense, and there was a time I should not have received these imputations, with so much concern as I now do, when I would wish, by degrees, by a conformity of my manners to your virtue, to show every one the force your example has upon me. But this briefly is the case of the first. I had a friend who had been basely attempted to be assassinated by bravos, hired by a man of title in Italy, who, like many other persons of title, had no honour, and at Padua I had the fortune to disarm one of those bravos in my friend's defence, and made him confess his employer, and him I own I challenged. At Siena we met, and he died in a month after, of a fever, but, I hope, not occasioned by the slight wounds he had received from me, though I was obliged to leave Italy upon it, sooner than I intended, because of his numerous relations who looked upon me as the cause of his death, though I pacified them by a letter I wrote them from Innsbruck, acquainting them with the baseness of the deceased, and they followed me not to Munich as they intended. This is one of the good-natured hints that might shock your sweetness, on reflecting that you are yoked with a murderer. The other, nay, brother, said she, say no more. "'Tis your own fault if you go further. "'She shall know it all,' said he, "'and I defy the utmost stretch of your malice. "'When I was at college I was well received "'by a widow lady who had several daughters "'and but small fortunes to give them, "'and the old lady set one of them, "'a deserving good girl she was, "'to draw me into marriage with her "'for the sake of the fortune I was heir to.' and contrived many opportunities to bring us and leave us together. I was not then of age, and the young lady, not half so artful as her mother, yielded to my addresses before the mother's plot could be ripened, and so utterly disappointed it. This, my Pamela, is the Sally Godfrey, this malicious woman, with the worst intentions, has informed you of and whatever other liberties I may have taken, for perhaps some more I have, which, had she known, you had heard of as well as this. I desire heaven will only forgive me till I revive its vengeance by the like offences in injury to my Pamela. And now, my dear, you may withdraw, for this worthy sister of mine has said all the bad she knows of me, and what, at a proper opportunity, when I could have convinced you that they were not my boast, but my concern, I should have acquainted you with myself, for I am not fond of being thought better than I am, though I hope from the hour I devoted myself 
to so much virtue, to that of my death, my conduct shall be irreproachable. She was greatly moved at this, and the noble manner in which the dear gentleman owned and repented of his faults, and gushed out into tears, and said, No, don't yet go, Pamela, I beseech you. My passion has carried me too far, a great deal, and coming to me, she shook my hand and said, You must stay to hear me beg his pardon, and so took his hand. But to my concern, for I was grieved for her ladyship's grief, he burst from her and went out of the parlour into the garden in a violent rage that made me tremble. Her ladyship sat down and leaned her head against my bosom, and made my neck wet with her tears, holding me by the hands, and I wept for company. Her kinsman walked up and down the parlour in a sad fret, and going out afterwards he came in and said, Mr. B. has ordered his chariot to be got ready, and won't be spoken to by anybody. Where is he? said she. Walking in the garden till it is ready, replied he. Well, said she, I have indeed gone too far. I was bewitched. And now, said she, malicious as he calls me, will he not forgive me for a twelve-month? For I tell you, Pamela, if ever you offend, he will not easily forgive. I was all delighted, though sad, to see her ladyship so good to me. Will you venture, said she, to accompany me to him? Dare you follow a lion in his retreats? I'll attend your ladyship, said I, wherever you command. Well, wench, said she, Pamela, I mean, thou art very good in the main. I should have loved thee as well as my mother did, if but tis all over now. Indeed, you should not have married my brother, but come, I must love him. Let's find him out. And yet will he use me worse than a dog? I should not, added she, have so much exasperated him, for whenever I have, I have always had the worst of it. He knows I love him. In this manner her ladyship talked to me, leaning on my arm, and walking into the garden. I saw he was still in a tumult, as it were, and he took another walk to avoid us. She called after him, and said, Brother, brother, let me speak to you. One word with you. And as we made haste towards him, and came near to him, I desire, said he, that you'll not oppress me more with your follies, and your violence. I have borne too much with you, and I will vow for a twelve-month from this day, Hush, said she, don't bow. I beg you for too well will you keep it. I know my experience if you do. You see, said she, I stoop to ask Pamela to be my advocate. Sure, that will pacify you. Indeed, said he, I desire to see neither of you on such an occasion, and let me only be left to myself for I will not be intruded upon thus, and was going away. But, said she, one word first, I desire. If you'll forgive me, I'll forgive you. What, said the dear man, 
haughtily, "'Will you forgive me?' "'Why?' said she, for she saw him too angry to mention his marriage, as a subject that required her pardon. "'I will forgive you all your bad usage of me this day.' "'I will be serious with you, sister,' said he. "'I wish you most sincerely well. "'But let us, from this time, study so much one another's quiet, "'as never to come near one another more.' "'Never,' said she. "'And can you desire this, barbarous brother? "'Can you? I can, I do,' said he. "'And I have nothing to do but to hide from you, "'not a brother, but a murderer.' and a profligate, unworthy of your relation, and let me be consigned to penitence for my past evils. A penitence, however, that shall not be broken in upon by so violent an accuser. Pamela, said he, and made me tremble, how dare you approach me without leave, when you see me thus disturbed? Never for the future come near me, when I am in these tumults, unless I send for you. Dear sir, said I, leave me, interrupted he. I will set out for Bedfordshire this moment. What, sir, said I, without me? What have I done? You have too meanly, said he, for my wife, stooped to this furious sister of mine, and till I can recollect, I am not pleased for you. But Colbrand shall attend you, and two other of my servants, and Mrs. Jukes shall wait upon you part of the way, and I hope you'll find me in a better disposition to receive you there than I am at parting with you here. Had I not hoped that this was partly put on to intimidate my lady, I believe I could not have borne it, but it was grievous to me for I saw he was most sincerely in a passion. I was afraid, said she, he would be angry at you, as well as me, for well do I know his unreasonable violence, when he is moved. But one word, sir, said she, pardon Pamela, if you want me, for she has committed no offence, but that of good nature to me, and at my request. I will be gone myself, directly as I was about to do, had you not prevented me. I prevented you, said he, through love, but you have strung me for it, through hatred. But as for my Pamela, I know, besides the present moment, I cannot be angry with her, and therefore I desire her never to see me, on such occasions, till I can see her in the temper I ought to be in, when so much sweetness approaches me, tis therefore I say, my dearest, leave me now. But, sir, said I, must I leave you, and let you go to Bedfordshire without me? Oh, dear sir, how can I? said my lady, you may go to-morrow, both of you, as you had designed, and I will go away this afternoon, and since I cannot be forgiven, will try to forget I have a brother. May I, sir, said I, beg all your anger on myself, and to be reconciled to your good sister? Presuming Pamela, replied he, and made me start, art thou then so hardy, so well able to sustain a displeasure, 
which of all things I expected from thy affection and thy tenderness thou wouldst have wished to avoid? Now, said he, and took my hand, and, as it were, tossed it from him, be gone from my presence, and reflect upon what you have said to me. I was so frightened, for then I saw he took amiss what I said, that I took hold of his knees as he was turning from me, and I said, Forgive me, good sir, you see I am not so hardy, I cannot bear your displeasure, and was ready to sink. His sister said, Only forgive Pamela, tis all I ask. You'll break her spirit quite. You'll carry your passion as far too far as I have done. I need not say, said he, how well I love her, but she must not intrude upon me at such times as these. I had intended, as soon as I could, have quilled by my reason, the tumult you had caused by your violence, to have come in, and taken such a leave of you both, as might become a husband and a brother, but she has unbidden broke in upon me, and must take the consequence of a passion, which, when raised, is as uncontrollable as your own. Said she, did I not love you so well, as sister never loved a brother? I should not have given you all this trouble. And did I not, said he, love you better than you are resolved to deserve? I should be indifferent to all you say. But this last instance, after the duelling story, which you would not have mentioned, had you not known it, is always matter of concern for me to think upon. A poor Sally Godfrey is a piece of spite and meanness that I can renounce you my blood for. Well, said she, I am convinced it was wrong. I am ashamed of it myself. Twas poor, twas mean, twas unworthy of your sister. And tis for this reason I stoop to follow you, to beg your pardon, and even to procure one for my advocate, who I believe had some interest in you if I might have believed your own professions to her, which now I shall begin to think made purposely to insult me. I care not what you think, after the meanness you have been guilty of. I can only look upon you with pity, for indeed you have fallen very low with me. Tis plain I have, said she, but I'll be gone. And so, brother, let me call you for this once. God bless you. And Pamela said her ladyship, God bless you, and kissed me, and wept. I durst say no more, and my lady turning from him, he said, Your sex is the D-blank-L. How strangely can you discompose, calm and turn, as you please, as poor weathercocks of men. Your last kind blessing to my Pamela, I cannot stand. Kiss but each other again, and then he took both our hands, and joined them, and my lady saluting me again, with tears on both sides, he put his kind arms about each of our waists, and saluted us with great affection, saying, Now, God bless you both, the two dearest creatures I have in the world. Well, said she, 
You will quite forget my fault about Miss... He stopped her before she could speak the name, and said, Forever forget it. And, Pamela, I'll forgive you too if you don't again make my displeasure so light a thing to you as you did just now. Said my lady, she did not make your displeasure a light thing to her, but the heavier it was, the higher compliment she made me, that she would bear it all, rather than not see you and me reconciled. No matter for that, said he, it was either an absence of thought, or a slight by implication at least, that my niceness could not bear from her tenderness. For looked it not presuming that she could stand my displeasure, or was sure of making her terms when she pleased, which fond as I am of her, I assure her will not be always in wilful faults in her power. Nay, said my lady, I can tell you, Pamela, you have a gentleman here in my brother, and you may expect such treatment from him as that character, and his known good sense and breeding will always oblige him to show. But if you offend, the Lord have mercy upon you. You see how it is by poor me, and yet I never knew him to forgive so soon. I am sure, said I, I will take care as much as I can, for I have been frightened out of my wits, and had offended before I knew where I was. So happily did this storm blow over, and my lady was quite subdued and pacified. When we came out of the garden, his chariot was ready, and he said, Well, sister, I had most assuredly gone away towards my other house. If things had not taken this happy turn, and, if you please, instead of it, you and I will take an airing. And pray, my dear, said he to me, bid Mrs. Jukes order supper by eight o'clock, and we shall then join you. Sir, added he to her nephew, will you take your horse and escort us? I will, said he, and am glad at my soul to see you all so good friends. So my dear lord and master handed my lady into his chariot, and her kinsman and his servants rode after them, and I went up to my closet to ruminate on these things. And, foolish thing that I am, this poor Miss Sally Godfrey runs into my head. How soon the name and quality of a wife gives one privileges, in one's own account. Yet, methinks, I want to know more about her, for is it not strange that I, who lived years in the family, should have heard nothing of this? But I was so constantly with my lady that I might the less hear of it, for she, I dare say, never knew it, or she would have told me. But I dare not ask him about the poor lady, yet I wonder what became of her, whether she be living, and whether anything came of it. Maybe I shall hear full soon enough, but I hope not to any bad purpose. As to the other unhappy case, I know it was talked of that in his travels, before I was taken into the family long, he had one or two broils, and, from a youth, 
He was always remarkable for courage, and is reckoned a great master of his sword. God grant he may never be put to use it, and that he may be always preserved in honour and safety. About seven o'clock my master sent word that he would have me not expect him to suffer, for that he and my lady his sister and nephew were prevailed upon to stay with Lady Jones, and that Lady Darnford and Mr. Peter's family had promised to meet them there. I was glad they did not send for me, and the rather, as I hoped those good families being my friends, would confirm my lady a little in my favour, and so I followed my writing closely. About eleven o'clock they returned. I had but just come down, having tired myself with my pen, and was sitting talking with Mrs. Jukes and Mrs. Warden, whom I would, though unwillingly on their sides, make sit down, which they did over against me. Mrs. Warden asked my pardon, in a good deal of confusion, for the part she had acted against me, saying that things had been very differently represented to her, and that she little thought I was married, and that she was behaving so rudely to the lady of the house. I said I took nothing amiss, and very freely forgave her, and hoped my new condition would not make me forget how to behave properly to everyone, but that I must endeavour to act not unworthy of it, for the honour of the gentleman who had so generously raised me to it. Mrs. Duke said that my situation gave me great opportunities of showing the excellence of my nature, that I could forgive offences against me so readily, as she, for her own part, must always, she said, acknowledge with confusion of face. People, said I, Mrs. Jukes, don't know how they shall act when their wills are in the power of their superiors, and I always thought one should distinguish between acts of malice and of implicit obedience, though at the same time a person should know how to judge between lawful and unlawful. And even the great, though at present angry they are not obeyed, will afterwards have no ill opinion of a person for withstanding them in their unlawful commands. Mrs. Jukes seemed a little concerned at this, and I said I spoke chiefly from my own experience, for that I might say, as they both knew my story, that I had not wanted both for menaces and temptations, and had I complied with the one, or been intimidated by the other, I should not have been what I was. Ah, madam, replied Mrs. Jukes, I never knew anybody like you, and I think your temper sweeter since the happy day than before, and that, if possible, you take less upon you. Why, a good reason, said I, may I be assigned for that. I thought myself in danger. I looked upon everyone as my enemy, and it was impossible that I should not be fretful, uneasy, jealous. But when my dearest friend had taken from me the ground of my uneasiness, and made me quite happy, I should have been very blamable, 
if I had not shown a satisfied and easy mind, and a temper that should engage every one's respect and love at the same time, if possible, and so much the more as it was but justifying in some sort the honour I had received. For the fewer enemies I made myself, the more I engaged every one to think that my good benefactor had been less blame in descending as he has done. This way of talking pleased them both very much, and they made me many compliments upon it, and wished me always to be happy, as they said I so well deserved. We were thus engaged when my master and his sister and her nephew came in, and they made me quite alive in the happy humour in which they all returned. The two women would have withdrawn, but my master said, Don't go, Mrs. Warden. Mrs. Jukes, pray stay. I shall speak to you presently. So he came to me, and saluting me, said, Well, my dear love, I hope I have not trespassed upon your patience by an absence longer than we designed. But it has not been to your disadvantage, for though we had not your company, we talked of nobody else but you. My lady came up to me and said, Eh, child, you have been all our subject. I don't know how it is, but you have made two or three good families in this neighbourhood as much your admirers as your friend here. My sister, said he, has been hearing your praises, Pamela, from half a score mouths with more pleasure than her heart will easily let her express. My good Lady Davers' favour, said I, and the continuance of yours, sir, would give me more pride than that of all the rest of the world put together. Well, child, said she, proud hearts don't come down all at once, though my brother here has this day set mine a good many pegs lower than I ever knew it but I will say, I wish you joy with my brother, and so kiss me. My dear lady, said I, you forever oblige me. I shall now believe myself quite happy. This was all I wanted to make me so, and I hope I shall always, through my life, show your ladyship that I have the most grateful and respectful sense of your goodness. But child, said she, I shall not give you my company when you make your appearance. Let your own merit make all your Bedfordshire neighbours your friends, as it has done here, by your Lincolnshire ones, and you'll have no need of my countenance, nor anybody's else. Now, said her nephew, tis my turn. I wish you joy with all my soul, madam, and by what I have seen, and by what I have heard, for gad, I think you have met with no more than you deserve, and so all the company says where we have been, and pray forgive all my nonsense to you. Sir, said I, I shall always, I hope, respect as I thought, so near a relation of my good lord and Lady Davis, and I thank you for your kind compliment. Gadbeck, said he, I believe you've some forgiveness too to ask, for we were all to blame, to make Madam here fly the pit as she did, 
Little did we think we made her quit her own house. Thou always, said my lady, sayest too much, or too little. Mrs. Warden said, I have been treated with so much goodness and condescension since you went, that I have been beforehand, sir, in asking pardon myself. So my lady sat down with me half an hour, and told me that her brother had carried her a fine airing, and had quite charmed her with his kind treatment of her, and had much confirmed her in the good opinion she had begun to entertain of my discreet and obliging behaviour. But, continued she, when he would make me visit, without intending to stay, my old neighbours, for, said she, Lady Jones being nearest, we visited her first, and she scraped all the rest of the company together. They were all so full of your praises, that I was quite borne down, and truly it was Saul among the prophets. You may believe how much I was delighted with this, and I spared not my due acknowledgments. When her ladyship took leave to go to bed, she said good-night to you heartily, and to your good man. I kissed you when I came in, out of form, but I now kiss you out of more than form, I'll assure you. Join with me, my dear parents, in my joy for this happy turn, the contrary of which I so much dreaded, and was the only difficulty I had to labour with. This poor Miss Sally Godfrey, I wonder what's become of her, poor soul. I wish he would, of his own head, mention her again. Not that I am very uneasy, neither. You'll say I must be a little saucy if I was. End of section 29